It's great to see you guys. If you don't know me, my name is Ben. Uh, myself and my beautiful wife here, Melina, uh, shepherd and lead this uh, church community. And we're so grateful that you guys are with us this morning. Uh, we're going to continue our study today through our uh, new series, Parables in Luke, Finding Our Stories in His Story. If you have a Bible, please turn over to Luke chapter 7. I'm going to begin with a word of prayer. So when you get there, please bow your heads with me. And can I get like a, a hallelujah when you guys are there? Hallelujah. Perfect. If you don't have a Bible, that's totally okay. The verses will be on the screen as well. Let's bow our heads. Holy Father, God, we come before you because you are worthy of all of our praise. Lord, we sing hallelujah. We sing praise to you. God, because you do lift us when we're lowly. Uh, you are the beautiful and wonderful Savior that each of us needs desperately. And we thank you for loving us and choosing us despite what we've done, despite who we are, but because of who you are. Father, as we open up your word this morning, we pray that you open wide our hearts, that we can receive your word, that we can have humility to hear your word, and to let it change us and mold us and guide us in the steps we should take. Lord, give us eyes that see the way that you see. Father, we pray all these things in Jesus Christ's holy name and the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Luke 7, verse 36. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house so she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to say to you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii, the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house, and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me uh, a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. 
As a congregation, this is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. May go back a little bit. The title of the sermon this morning is A Toxic Person. A Toxic Person. As modern day readers, we read this scene, and we're like, yo, who's the toxic person here, right? And when I say a toxic person, I want you guys to be honest. How many of you guys, show of hands, have interacted with a toxic person before? You know, most of us, right? Oh, I don't think I saw any hands not go up. That's great. Or is it? Now, be honest, as a show of hands, how many of you guys have been that toxic person before? More hesitant hands. Some of you guys didn't put your hands up, right? Uh, so I've had three ex-girlfriends, and all of the stories are incredibly toxic. But I'm going to tell you guys about the least toxic of all three. I have a fourth girlfriend too, but she's still my girlfriend. She's my wife. She's the least toxic of all of them. But the least, you know, the least toxic story. Uh, I just started middle school, and you guys know that middle school girlfriend, right? Or boyfriend, or boyfriend. I just started middle school. I had my first girlfriend, right? And uh, we'd been dating. You know, we started dating the year before, and then we're dating through the summer. And then at the end of the summer, there's this period where we both went on vacations, but we didn't have cell phones yet. This is like back in the day when there was still flip phones, right? And we didn't have cell phones yet. And uh, so we've been out of contact for a few weeks. And so I get back to, to school and I'm expecting, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see my girlfriend, but I'm also like nervous, you know, being around all the new people. You want to fit in. You're kind of consciously anxious about what people are thinking of you. And I see down the hallway, like down a little ways, maybe the back of the room, who I thought was my girlfriend holding hands with another guy. Yeah, that dang, that sucks, right? That's the, that's the right answer. And uh, this guy comes up to me and he says, yo, I heard you got dumped, bro. And that was news to me. <laughs> and I heard, you know, I, I responded with, uh, you know, just because I didn't want people to know that, you know, she stepped out on me, right? Uh, I just said, oh, yeah, I don't care. But inwardly, I'm broken, right? I'm, I'm, I'm humiliated. I'm embarrassed. I'm discouraged. Uh, I feel used. And then I, we literally never talked about it. Like me, that girl and I never had a conversation about it whatsoever. Uh, what? I might have a, no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, you know, we re, you know, hear that story, you're like, that is toxic, right? That's a toxic person. But modern day readers, when we read this passage, the question we must ask ourselves is, well, who is the toxic person in this story? And we see this woman kissing this dude's feet, crying on them, wiping his feet with her hair. And you're like, what is going on? That is weird. You know, but reading Luke 7, if you read all the verses leading up to this passage, we read about Jesus healing multiple people, raising uh, this boy who is dead to life again, healing the sick, giving sight to the blind. And with all this happening, we start seeing these crowds following Jesus. And they follow him around, and he'll like stand somewhere, and he'll just start preaching. And everybody comes to listen to him, because they're like, who is this guy who can heal people? What does he have to say? And he's preaching to these crowds. And then in, in verse 29 and 30 of Luke 7, we get a subtle hint about what's, what's happening in this context. And it says, All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right, because they had been baptized by John. 
And when the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purposes for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. In other words, they didn't want to change. And what we see is a setup. Luke is setting us up for what's going to happen in our text today where Jesus is invited into the home of Simon the Pharisee. And when you hear the word Pharisee, just think a religious leader, a person of high standing in the community. And we have this dramatic scene where this Pharisee, this religious leader, invites Jesus into his home and has a banquet, hosts a banquet, and, and Jesus is supposed to be the honored guest in the community. But this woman, who clearly was not invited, shows up, and she does something crazy, and then Jesus and Simon have this dialogue about it. So how do we get here? With crowds following Jesus and listening to him preach, Jesus is going town to town. And in each town, everybody would gather and hear, well, what does this guy who heals the blind and the sick and raises the dead, what does he have to say? And so people would gather and hear him. And it's really interesting what, what ends up uh, happening is that all the, the sinners, kind of people who have lived a hard life, who don't seem to fit in in the religious communities, they all seem to be the ones who respond really well. And when a traveling rabbi or teacher comes to your town, it would be customary for a Pharisee, for one of the religious leaders, to invite that teacher into his home for a banquet. And so then we have Simon who does just that. And they invite him over to the, uh, into the home for a feast. And during that feast, what they're supposed to do is, is discuss the rabbi's teachings. But this popular teacher named Jesus comes to town, and Simon the Pharisee feels obliged to host him. And so Jesus receives the invitation but then Simon actually hears him preach, right? He preaches in that town, and Simon actually listens to him. And this is the guy, Jesus, who's saying, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. But woe to you who are rich, for you have already received your comfort. And later, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how your ancestors treated the false prophets. And guess what we know about Simon the Pharisee? Well, if he's the one who's inviting Jesus for this feast into his home, well, it means he's one of the richest guys in town. These are small towns. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody knows how big your house is, and it's usually one big room. And so everybody knows Simon the Pharisee is the rich guy, but woe to you who are rich if you've already received your comfort. Simon hears that. We have to wonder, how does he respond? And we think about it, he's the religious leader too, right? Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. Because that is how they treated the false prophets. Simon hears teachings like these. And he's already invited this guy into his home. But now he's just angry. He does not want to welcome him. And so Jesus comes in. And at a banquet like this, they have the, the invited guests in particular who have a seat at the table. And they're seated in order of how much honor they have. In other words, they're seated least to greatest. And so you know exactly where your seat is at the table based on kind of how good you are in somebody else's eyes. That was their culture. And at a banquet like this, when they're going to be discussing the teacher's teachings, you have the people who are invited, the honored guests who sit at the table, and then they're sitting in order of their status. But then they, they have an open door policy. So that the door to the house is always open, and then everybody from the crowd will come in, and are just standing and sitting on the ground room only. And so they crowd in just to listen. They don't get to eat. They don't get served. They just come in to listen. And if there's not enough room, they stand outside and look through the window. 
because they want to hear what these people are going to say, the people who are supposed to be leading them religiously. And so we have that happening. And you get into a a house like this. Sorry, my Canadian accent came out there. Uh, And this is what that would have looked like. You have a big table, and then you have these couches next to the table. And that's why what we read in the text is that they recline at the table. They lay on these couches, and that's why their feet are kind of behind them. They look just like this. And so they gather around this table. But the woman has gathered too. She wasn't an invited guest, but she's a person in the town. Maybe one that nobody would expect to show up, but she comes. We have to ask, why would she come? Well, that that same preaching that made Simon angry, she heard those same lessons. She heard those same sermons. And what Jesus is preaching is a God that does not care about your status, but loves you unconditionally, and it offers you forgiveness for your sins, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. Who says, there's nobody who can't get right with me. There's nobody who I don't want to be in relationship with, including you, sinful woman. And when we read a woman of that town, well, we're, the, the, the subtext is a woman that everybody in that town knows. And then it says who've lived a sinful life. It means that everybody in that town knows that she is kind of the sinner in the town. The subtext of that is she's a prostitute. Everybody knows where to go if you want to see her at night. And so you have this dramatic verbiage describing her in a very negative way. And Simon, this religious person, is thinking, I would never be caught dead in a room with her. You know who she is? You know what she does for a living? I would never sit at a table with her and eat with her. I would never speak to her. I would never even look at her. Just eating in her presence would defile me religiously. I would be called unclean. For Simon, well, who is the toxic person? It's clearly this woman. Don't you know what she does? And this is the woman who comes into the house before Jesus arrives, clearly uninvited. You can just imagine the looks as everybody glances at her out of the corner of their eyes. Thinks, why are you here? They're mumbling to themselves, whispering about her. And she doesn't miss that. That's not, uh, she's not blind to those things. But she goes to the house with anticipation. And she brings something with her. She brings her perfume. The stuff that she formerly used to make herself attractive and desirable for her clients, she now brings as an offering to the one who has declared God's love to her. And when she gets to the house, she's waiting to see this teacher. She's waiting to see the one who's shown God's love to her. And when he comes in, everybody expects him to be greeted with honor as the traveling preacher. Everyone expects Simon, the host of the house, to greet him with a kiss. That was customary. It's like me shaking your hand. And everybody expects Simon, the host, if he has servants, to have his servants wash Jesus' feet. And if he doesn't have servants, to at least give him water to wash his own feet if he doesn't do it himself. But the woman sees Jesus come into the house and none of these things are offered to him. In fact, Simon looks at him with silence, with contempt in his eyes, and lets him walk in with no greeting. And everybody watches that happen. 
That is a personal attack on Jesus. That is Simon saying with his actions rather than his words, you're not worthy of my respect. You're not worthy for me to listen to you. And I don't want to honor you in my house. You're not really welcome here. But as a formality, you can come in and eat food beside me. And everyone in the crowd, the other guests, are immediately noticing this attack and asking, well, well, how is Jesus going to respond? And any other teacher of that day would dust the sand, you know, the dust off their sandals onto the ground and leave the house and withdraw from Simon and say, I'm not welcome here, fine. I'll go somewhere where I am welcome. But that's not what Jesus does. He takes the blow on the chin and comes in silent. He doesn't open his mouth to respond or retaliate. He takes it. And if it was me in Jesus' shoes, I'd be humiliated. I'd be like, this person is toxic. I'm out. You invite me over just to disrespect me in public? But then the woman comes in. And the woman sees this scene play out and responds dramatically. She's so overwhelmed by the contempt that is shown to Jesus that she bursts into tears. And she's wondering, well, what can I do to show him honor? The one who has declared God's love to me. Who said that I, even I, can be forgiven. What can I do? And she gets to the ground and in her tears starts wiping her face against his feet. Washing his feet with her tears. Here's an image. And she looks and she has no towel. And Simon's not going to offer her a towel to use. And so in this dramatic moment, if you guys know what women in the Middle East wear over their heads, she uncovers her head and lets down her hair and dries his feet with her hair. And she knows that traditionally in the Middle East, if royalty is being hosted, you anoint that person's head with oil. And she knows that Simon has done nothing of the sort. But what does she have? This perfume that she was going to give as a gift. And she takes the top off and she pours it on his feet, anointing his feet. Everything that Simon does not do, she tries to do in a dramatic fashion to show her love and honor and adoration. And she displays it with much more magnitude. And we read this about this woman letting down her feet and drying his feet with her hair. And it can kind of be lost on us today. Like, well, that's kind of gross, but what's the big deal? Jewish writers at that time likened a woman exposing her hair in public to another man to exposing your breast. When we read about that, it's an intimate act reserved for a husband alone. It is incredibly humiliating for a woman, incredibly intimate. And everybody would have been shocked in that room. The woman exposes herself to reproach of all the people. She totally disregards all of their judgment. Everything they're saying about her, she doesn't care. She's consumed with showing Jesus her love and gratitude, honoring him in front of others, no matter the personal cost to herself. And on seeing the woman's response, Simon could have been humbled. He could have been embarrassed himself. He could have had his eyes open to his own sin and his own pride and his own judgment and contempt. And he could have humbly apologized and admitted his sin. But instead, he says to himself, clearly audibly for others to hear, if this was a holy man, he'd know what kind of woman this is. 
that she's a sinner, that she's a prostitute. If he was a holy man, he would reject her. And he justifies himself further. He digs his hole deeper. And he's further demeaning Jesus by accusing him of accepting impure touches from this woman. The real reason he has decided to be the host for Jesus was simply to test him. He wasn't intending to be hospitable. And the question for us today is who is the toxic person? I think it's always easier to see others as toxic people. They are the ones who are the sinners. And I reflect on my life and I remember a time where I felt like I was the woman here. Where I felt totally inadequate of following Jesus. I'd been sneaking out of my parents' house every week. I'd been sexually impure. I was constantly lying and putting on a face, desperately trying to fit in with those around me. I think about that time, and I was so broken and so hurting within. But even then, I would compare myself to others, to those who were doing things slightly worse than me, so I could just try to find some tiny bit of comfort that I'm not totally worthless, that I'm not too far gone. But nowadays in my life, I'm not like that at all. Right? <laughs> Let me be honest with you. I've had dramatic repentance in those areas of my life, but there's other areas that have emerged. When someone asks me to do something that I feel like they should be doing, inwardly, I can condemn people in my thoughts. I get judgmental and critical. I have contempt as well. I can easily compare my others, myself to others still. You know, the same types of contempt that Simon has, I have. And while Jesus looks on every single one of you with radical love and patience, I find myself at times looking at others and judging their actions as insufficient. Comparing myself to them. They must not care about me if they would do that. If, that, you know, if they knew how that affects me. And I judge incorrectly all the time. And I'm ashamed of that. I'm sorry for that. I want to display the love that Jesus does despite how he was treated. And if I miss this, I will miss out on the love and grace of Jesus that the woman experienced. But for you, how easy is it for you to justify yourself? How easy is it for you to make excuses for your sin? Because I'm sure you can find someone else, maybe someone in this room, that you're like, well, they're more toxic than me. The way they treat their boyfriend or girlfriend, what they were doing last night or Friday night, Maybe you know someone else who says they're a Christian, but, but you know that they don't really read their Bible consistently. And you see yourself reading your Bible, and you're like, well, I'm doing pretty good here. And you might not say in your head anything condemning them directly, but you build yourself up at the expense of them in your eyes. Yeah. And you see, that is toxic. You are a toxic person, and so am I. And Jesus tells us this parable about the two debtors to show that to us. Whether you're just a little toxic here and there, or you're a straight-up menace, you're indebted. You are indebted, and you cannot forgive your own debts. And that's a fact. In Jesus' parable to Simon, he is teaching Simon how to judge correctly. 
In other words, how to see his own sin. How to judge correctly, even and especially for himself. He is showing him that sin is sin and we all have it. And he needs someone who has the power to freely offer forgiveness, not because of what he has done that's been so great, but in spite of it. And in verse 42, we read in this parable, so he forgave the debts of both. And when we read he forgave the debts, in the original language, the verb is actually to freely offer grace to both. In other words, so he freely offered grace to both of the debtors. And Jesus' forgiveness here precedes the costly outpouring of love and sacrifice by the sinful woman. She heard him preaching about God's love and grace in town and responding to that love. She comes to the banquet to offer a gift. She experienced forgiveness of her sins from Jesus already and it utterly changed her. We repent, we turn to Jesus, we sacrifice our old ways of living for our own pleasure. Not in order to receive Jesus' love and forgiveness, rather because of Jesus' radical love and forgiveness. And as an audience, we're forced to ask, what, what if Simon had accepted the woman's repentance like Jesus did? What if he saw her coming and showing up to hear Jesus' teachings as a sign that she wanted to change her life and turn it around, that she wanted help, that she wanted to be part of the community again? And what if instead of judging her, he accepted her? How might that community have changed? Especially in a small town. You know, Simon didn't seem to think that she could change, and thus he was unable and unwilling to change. If we are on the other side of the spectrum this morning, ask yourself this, what if I was actually willing to leave behind my old way of life? What if I was actually willing to bring my perfume, my old patterns of sin, and give them as a gift and a sacrifice and offering to Jesus? What if I left behind the life life of parties and my impurity? What if I left behind my biased attitudes towards people? What if I left behind my utter selfishness where everything has to revolve around me, where I'm willing to control and manipulate other people to serve my own interests? What if I left behind my pride? How might my community be different? And how might we experience God's radical love and grace? And how might we radically repent in response? But do we lack an awareness of the nature of evil in our own lives? Do we lack an ability to judge correctly? You see, the goal is not just to stop judging others. The goal is to judge correctly, which means to judge ourselves correctly. For us to see our own sin and see that it's because of our sin that Jesus had to suffer such reproach. Because of our sin that Jesus had to offer such profound grace. Because of our sin that Jesus entered into rooms like this one and was despised by the world and that hosted him. That did not welcome him. Because it made them uncomfortable. Because it called them to change. Jesus did not change his sermons based on what Simon would think. He did not leave Simon when Simon despised him and did not listen to him. And Jesus did not leave us when we rejected him. He stayed with us 
all the way onto the cross. And even then, he looks at us and says, I'm willing to do this, even this for you. I will not and will never give up on you. May such costly love draw us near. And so I have three practices this week for us to practice judging correctly. The first practice is confess. Confess your sins to Jesus. And after you confess it to Jesus, confess it to somebody that he's placed in your life, someone you trust, who can hear you, who can help you see yourself honestly, and who can help you open your eyes to the magnitude of God's grace that can cover over even that. Because when we acknowledge it, then we can begin to repent. The second practice is to remind someone of grace this week. Maybe that person who you guys have a conversation together. But remind someone else this week. Remind them that the far reaching of grace can cover over even them. No one is too far gone. Yeah. And practice number three is just repent. Bring your perfume to Jesus and pour it out on his feet. In other words, offer your life as a living sacrifice to Jesus. Leave your old ways of thinking and acting behind and choose to imitate Jesus because of his great love for you. And let us be those who pour out the perfumes of our old ways onto the feet of Jesus. Let us weep with this woman in abundant love for the forgiver of all our sins. The one who makes everything right. The one who sees us and knows us exactly as we are and yet loves us radically and unconditionally. And may we be those whose repentance shocks the world around us. May we follow Jesus with all we've got. Amen. To God be the glory.